It's Saturday, May the 14th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up... Russia to cut off Finland's electricity, and Georgian region plans Russian referendum. First, the week in brief. Russia will cut electricity supplies to Finland from Saturday as tensions mount about the Nordic country's plan to join NATO. Rao Nordic, the Russian company that exports the electricity, claimed not to have been paid for previous deliveries. Finland says Russia supplies only 10% of the power for its grid. Meanwhile, Turkey indicated it might veto bids by Finland and Sweden to join NATO because they are, quote, home to many terrorist organisations. British intelligence said that Ukrainian troops had destroyed nearly all the armoured vehicles belonging to a Russian battalion that was attempting and failing to cross a river in the Donbar in the east of the country. There were further reports that Ukraine may be close to winning the battle for Kharkiv, Ukraine's second city, from where Russian troops are said to be withdrawing. Meanwhile, the first trial of a Russian soldier for war crimes began. The 21-year-old is accused of killing an unarmed civilian. Ukraine says it has documented thousands of potential Russian war crimes. The leader of a breakaway region in Georgia said the territory would hold a referendum on joining Russia. Russia has offered South Ossetia, which is situated on the country's southwestern border, financial support and its residents' Russian citizenship. Thousands of Russian troops are also stationed there. Georgia's government has previously said that a referendum now scheduled for mid-July would be unacceptable. Elon Musk, the world's richest man, said that he was, quote, still committed to buying Twitter for $44 billion. Earlier, the tycoon tweeted that the bid had been put, quote, on hold, as he sought to confirm the platform's claims that fake and spam accounts represent under 5% of its users. Twitter's share price began to recover after falling nearly 20%. Israeli police attacked the funeral procession of Shireen Abu Akleh, a Palestinian journalist killed this week. Police accused the mourners of, quote, disrupting public order. Some displayed Palestinian flags, which is forbidden in Israel. Miss Abu Akleh's colleagues have accused Israeli soldiers of killing her. The army is investigating the claim, having initially pointed the finger at Palestinian militants. Canada's Supreme Court unanimously ruled that people accused of violent crimes, such as sexual assault and murder, can use extreme intoxication as a defence. The decision strikes down a federal law banning the defence that passed in 1995. The ruling concerned three cases in which male defendants argued that they were so intoxicated that they were, quote, automatons and could not be held criminally and could not be held criminally responsible for their actions. Texas's highest court allowed a state agency to pursue child abuse investigations against parents whose transgender children are using medication to delay puberty. 
The decision overturned a statewide injunction that halted such investigations in March. Ken Paxton, Texas's scandal-plagued Attorney General and a Donald Trump acolyte, had asked the state Supreme Court to remove the injunction. And word of the week. Stablecoin. A type of cryptocurrency that is pegged to another currency, sometimes a conventional one like the dollar. And now here's today's agenda. Putin's big victory parade. Tanks, troops and nuclear missiles will flood the streets of Moscow on Monday as Russia celebrates Victory Day. Such parades ostensibly honour the 20 million or more Soviet citizens who died in the fight against the Nazis during the Second World War. But President Vladimir Putin has weaponized this national holiday to trumpet modern Russia's military might. This year, the fanfare plays an especially significant role. Mr Putin is hoping the spectacle will swell support within Russia for his own, quote, special military operation. The procession will be smaller than usual because tanks and soldiers are needed in Ukraine. Mr Putin could use his customary speech on May 9th to declare victory in that campaign. Or he may announce an escalation, such as a mass mobilisation of men. But that is sensitive. More Russians might start to oppose his war if they have to risk their lives for it. Germany's leader remembers the war. Given the events in Moscow on Monday, Ukraine's president, Vladimir Zelensky, suggested last week that Olaf Scholz should show solidarity by visiting Kyiv at the same time. The German Chancellor has not been to the Ukrainian capital since the war started, in part because Mr Zelensky refused to welcome Frank Walter Steinmeier, the German president, over his previous warm relations with Russia. Mr Scholz did not take up the invitation and gave a televised address to the German people on the evening of May 8th, when Germany marks the anniversary of the end of the Second World War. Mr Schultz will stay in Berlin on Monday for a meeting with the newly re-elected French President Emmanuel Macron. It is a long-established tradition for a new president to make his first foreign visit to Germany. Their agenda is long. European sovereignty in defence and energy, the Western Balkans, China, trouble in the Sahel and, of course, Ukraine. Marcos Mark II. Barring an earth-shattering surprise or an unprecedented polling error, Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos, the son of the Philippines' former dictator of the same name minus the Bongs, will win by a landslide in an election on Monday. That is a remarkable comeback for the Marcos family, who, having looted the state and imposed martial law, were run out of the country in 1986. They returned in 1991 after the death of Marcos Sr. and have been worming their way back into politics ever since. Skillful propaganda has promoted the idea that the Marcos dictatorship was a, quote, golden era of stability and high growth. Mr Marcos's campaign has been feeble, he has no policy agenda and his probable victory is deeply divisive. 
Many Filipinos remain wedded to the ideals of the revolution that kicked out his father. They may not accept the result. Attempts to disqualify Mr Marcos are making their way to the Supreme Court. Whatever it decides, there will be uproar. Why the world needs to restore its land Delegates are gathering in Ivory Coast on Monday to discuss ways to improve the state of the world's land. It is an urgent issue. A recent UN report found that humans have degraded as much as 40% of land globally, sapping it of water, natural vegetation and fertile soil. Most of the damage is done by farming. That puts food systems at risk as well as lowering biodiversity and the Earth's ability to sequester carbon, hastening climate change. Water scarcity is at the centre of the problem being mulled at the United Nations Convention to combat desertification. More than 2.3 billion people, or 30% of the global population, currently do not have enough. By 2050, the UN predicts that this will be the case for half the people in the world. But restoration and good land management make places more resilient to drought. A programme by the Ethiopian government, planting trees and shrubs and changing where animals graze, increased food production by more than 13% in the most drought-ridden areas. Return of the Samurai More than 30 years ago, Peter Janssen bought his first Japanese katana sword at a flea market in Berlin. Thus began a lifetime of collecting weapons and armour, with a focus on objects belonging to Japan's warrior elite. On Sunday, he opened a new museum to show off the largest collection of authentic samurai artefacts outside of Japan. Located in the Auguststrasse Art District, the Samurai Museum Berlin replaces a smaller one that closed during the pandemic. Around 1,000 objects bought in Japan, Europe and America have been chosen to illustrate the life, art and traditions that shaped society in feudal Japan for around 1,000 years. Artifacts include the armour of more than 70 high-ranking samurai warriors as well as 200 helmets, 160 swords and masks. Exhibits are embedded with digital installations, including a replica of a Japanese no theatre. Thousands more items from Mr Jansen's extensive collection are not even on display. Daily Quiz Aberistas will serve you a new question each day. On Friday, your challenge is to give all five answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Monday. Which insects use a waggle dance? to inform others of the location of food sources. Finally, here's the quote of the day, from Tenzing Norgay, who died on this day in 1986. 
I have climbed my mountain, but I must still live my life. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.